you guys have your Bibles, you want to open to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15. We've been walking through uh, this series on Old Testament battles. Um, and to be honest with you, this is probably uh, the, the one that, not necessarily a battle, but I guess it is. Um, <laughs> that was a weird statement. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one thing I want to say about what Michael said, I've been in Southern Baptist churches a long time. I have never heard that song sung like that in a Southern Baptist church. How many, okay, how many Southern Baptists? You got to be honest here this morning. Southern Baptists can't lie. All right. Have you ever heard that song sung that way in a Southern Baptist church? Nope. Organ, piano, right? Yeah. So, yeah, he tried to play it. What's that? We had an organ. That's what I'm saying. Oh, man, that that don't count. Now, I have heard the southern twang or the country twang in a southern Baptist church, right? Um, But also, man, it's great great to be with you guys. I'm glad that you're here. Um, We're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 15. Have you ever done something halfway and then realize that you wished you would have done it the right way. <laughs> um, okay, this is a moment of honesty. How many of the men in the room don't like instructions? Right? right? Uh, it, it, quite often, my wife will go to, you know, Walmart or Target. And that's Target. You know, we'd like to be fancy. Target. Um, or, uh, or, or Ikea, or order something off of Amazon, and it never fails. It comes in like a thousand pieces, right? It comes in a thousand pieces, and, and, and it comes in a box, and she either shows up with it in her car, and it barely fit in the car, or it comes in the mail, right? Amazon now, you get them in the mail, and you go out to the door, and you bring it in, you open it up, and it's like a thousand pieces. And she was like, have you found the instructions? I'm like, I don't need instructions. Right? Guys don't need instructions. Come on. And so it never fails. I start to put it together. I'm like, oh, yeah, this must fit here, and this must fit here, and must fit here. And then I realize I get down to the last piece, and I put it together backwards. Right? And now you got to take it apart. And now she's like, now are you going to read the instructions? And, and it's, it's quite often that that happens. But the reality of it is, is that sometimes that's how we go about life. We, we've been given an instruction manual, we've been given an instruction manual to help us be able to navigate life, but so many times we don't want to get out the instruction manual and actually begin to read it and learn it so that we kind of understand how to walk through things in life. We just kind of want to sometimes figure it out on our own, and what happens is we realize that we've done it the wrong way, or we've even done it halfway. We've done it halfway, and we're going to actually see that in the Scripture today as we learn about Saul. Okay, so 1 Samuel chapter 15, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of scripture reading this morning, and so you guys just bear with me. Um, I think there's a lot in this passage. We're actually going to go through the whole chapter 15, which there's some 33 verses um, in this chapter. Actually, I think there's 34, um, and, but we're going to read through the majority of them. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 1 says, Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people, Israel. 
So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid, when, when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death the men and the women and the children and the infants and the cattle and the sheep and the camels and the donkeys. So essentially what's happening right here is God's giving instruction to Samuel who was at the time, he was kind of the spiritual leader uh, of the Israelites and Saul was kind of like the military leader of the Israelites at this time. And it's really interesting because this is God's vengeance. There's, there's a passage in Scripture, and I believe uh, uh, there's a passage in Scripture, and it says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Because God actually says to us, hey, that we're not supposed to take revenge on people, that God will be the one who takes revenge on people who do things against him. And so here we have God actually fulfilling that because the Amalekites had years and years before, I think, I believe it was almost like 400 years prior to the Israelites coming out of Egypt, had attacked the Israelites. And so we, we find that God is fulfilling his promise of revenge on the Amalekites. Verse 4, so Saul summoned the men, and he mustered them at uh, Telaim, 200,000 uh, 200, foot soldiers and 10,000 from Judah. Saul went to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the ravine. Then he said to the Canaanites, go away, leave the Amalekites so that I do not destroy you along with them. So that was kind of nice of Saul, right? He gave, them, he gave them a heads up. For you showed kindness to all the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt. So the Canaanites moved away from the Amalekites. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with a sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the cattle and the fat calves and the lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely. But everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret, I regret that I have made Saul king. He didn't say, I have regret that I made Saul. He said, I have regret that I made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was, told, he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, when then is the bleeding of sheep in my ears. What is this lowing of cattle 
that I hear. Samuel answered, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. And enough, Samuel said to Saul, let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribe of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he, set, he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people. The Amalekites wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? And Saul said, but I did obey the Lord. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and I brought back Agag, their king. Their soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. And I'm going to stop there for a minute. We're going to finish out the, the uh, chapter in just a minute, but I wanted to first give you a couple thoughts. You see, the Amalekites committed a terrible sin against Israel when the nation was weak and vulnerable. The Amalekites attacked the weakest and most vulnerable of the nation out of Deuteronomy chapter 25. They did this for no reason except violence and greed, and this was the, the years prior to this point. God hates it when the strong take cruel advantage over the weak, especially when the weak are his people. And so, what I wanted to be able to say to you as we look at these first 22 verses this morning is this, is that partial obedience is complete disobedience. Partial obedience is complete disobedience. God came to Samuel. He told Samuel what was supposed to be done by Saul and by the Israelites, and they go in and they save Agag, they save all the cattle and sheep and all those, the, all those things that are still good, but they destroy the rest. And so what we understand is that partial obedience is complete disobedience. Saul's arrogance got in the way. Saul's pride and his arrogance in this moment got in the way, and we, we just read about that. It was his pride that got in the way, and it led him to this place of self-deception. Remember? He said, but I did obey. He thought that what he had done, he didn't completely do what God had told him to do. He said, hey, well, I did this. I killed, the pe I killed the people, but I saved Agag. I, we, say, we did save some of the cattle, but we killed the others. And what he began to do is he began to justify his own sin. But let's be honest, if we were in that situation, we probably would feel like we did the right thing. I mean, if we read the story and we begin to understand, well, it was kind of nice of Saul not to kill everybody. I mean, he saved Agag, right? He, was kind of, he must have been kind of nice as a king. He saved all the good animals. You know, you could have taken the good animals and you could have actually used them to benefit the community, the Israelites. But the thing was, that wasn't what God said to do. 
And so we have, to be, we have to be able to understand the difference between the things that God calls us to do and our own justification of things, because here's what's happening in today's culture. What's happening in today's culture is we're taking the Bible and we're twisting it to what we want it to be so that it can justify our own behavior. And we have to be careful that that arrogance doesn't lead to self-deception. I wrote this down, pride and disobedience makes us blind. And what I find really interesting is not only did Saul say, I did what he said, right? That's what he said. I did what he said. Well, no, he didn't. So he, only, he deceived himself into thinking that he had done what God had asked him to do. But then he said, well, the people did. <laughs> See, when, when that, when, I think when he's sitting there talking to Samuel, realizing that he knew that he had not done the right thing, and that Samuel wasn't, you know, and then Samuel says, why, well, God said he regressed and he even made you. He's like, well, the people, well, the people did this, but they were following his leadership. And, and the problem was, the problem with Saul's arrogance was that he was more concerned about what the people thought than what about God thought. And how often do we do that? We're more concerned about what's going on. I, I think I said that a few weeks ago. If you grew up in the South, a lot of times you're more gracious than truthful. You're more gracious than truthful. And people from the North, you're more truthful without grace. Is that right? Yes. I'm not sure about the people out west. <laughs> people from California. Well, I don't know what they do. I only know north and south. We've been fighting all these years. And so, understanding that, partial obedience is complete disobedience. Okay, let's keep reading. So look at verse 22. But Samuel replied, right? This is after he's had this conversation with, he's had this conversation with Saul. Saul's trying to defend that he has done the right thing. Saul, uh, Samuel says to Saul, hey, you didn't do the right thing. You completely disobeyed what God told you to do. God has now said to me that he regrets that he even made you king over Israel. And listen, this is what Saul continues to say, uh, Samuel continues to say to Saul. He says, but Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and si sacrifice as much as in obeying the Lord? So he, he, so he, sits, down with, he sits down with Saul and he says, hey buddy, he goes, this is a question he's asking them. Is, he says, does the Lord de delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? And then he goes on, to obey is better than sacrifice. Now, you, when I give you a point associated with this, you're not going to like it in just a moment. Okay? To obey, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. The rebellion is like the sin of deviation, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry, right? He's trying to help us begin to understand that Saul's arrogance got in the way. 
And rebellion, arrogance is like the evil of idolatry. He's comparing arrogance with idolatry, is he not? Because you have rejected the what? Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. <laughs> That's great. I mean, I can, I can only imagine after Samuel said that to me, I'd be like, yeah, I failed. And he goes on, then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men. I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe, and it tore. Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given to the one, given to one of your neighbors to one better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not human being, that he should change his mind. Now, what he was referring to there is that God was, at that point, was giving the kingdom of God to Jesus. This is actually a reference to Jesus. Saul replied, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders. Really? Like, that's what you care about? You, you honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back with Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. Then Samuel said, bring me Agag, king of the Amalekites. Agag came to him in chains, and he thought, surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so will your mother be childless among women. And Samuel put Agag to death before the Lord at Gilgal. Then Samuel left Ramah. But Saul went up to his home in Gilgal of Saul. Until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again, though Samuel mourned for him, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Man, there's, there's some tough stuff. Let's be honest. This is not a feel-good message. It's just not a feel-good message. And here's what, here's what I believe that God's trying to teach us through this passage this. Worship of God without obedience is empty. That, I think that's the hard part. You, as he goes back into verse 22, does the Lord delight in burnt offering sacrifices as much in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. But how often do we say, but God, I did that. I did this. I did these things that I felt like I was supposed to do, but were they in obedience? Were they in line with the Word of God? Were they the things that God actually told you to do? Because I believe sometimes in the American church, a lot of, day, a lot of days, we're just going through the motions. Well, I put my hour in at church. 
Listen to me. The majority of people, maybe that's an unfair statement, but that's the way I'm going to state it. The majority of people, I believe, they spend in the American church, spend, they, they believe that that one hour is all they need. They go home, they pat themselves on the back. They go out, they go throughout the rest of their week and then they show up on Sunday. They kind of do their deal and they go home. And they say, we've worshiped God. Worship of God without obedience is empty. One could, one could make a thousand sacrifices for God, work a thousand hours for God's service or give a millions of dollars to his work but all these sacrifices mean little if there is not a surrendered heart to God shown by simple obedience. The other part that we see, and here's what I want to say, if that's you, don't be deceived by the enemy like Saul. We can self-deceive ourselves by thinking, man, if I just go through emotions, if I just do those things. Listen, I know a lot of people I grew up in the church. I didn't grow up in a Southern Baptist church. I grew up in was a little small, little denominational church called West, the Wesleyan Church. You probably never heard of it. You probably never will. And I can, re- I can remember walking through that as a kid and knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt as I grew up through that context and as I got into pastoring into other churches I knew beyond a shadow of doubt that there were people who were just going through the motions they put their Sunday best on they came in their shirts and their ties and they were just going through the motions because it was what they were supposed to do and to be honest with you I saw my parents live that out at times You're like, man, that's a pretty bold statement. (laughs) Okay, maybe it is. But sometimes your fruit is a product of your relationship with Jesus. Always your fruit is a product of your relationship with Jesus. So what do we see next in this is this. God punishes the disobedient. He punishes disobedience and disobedience requires repentance. That's the good thing, I think, that we see in Saul. If we want to pick out one good thing in this, Saul's heart did come to a place of repentance, right? And so the challenge for us would be when we begin to recognize and not be self-deceived, because I believe there's always that moment where all of a sudden all the truth and all the reality of things and the way that we've lived and the things that we've done, they kind of come to the surface and you're like, oh crap, I messed it up. And, and how often do we just kind of come to that place, but then we keep, keep living the way that we've lived before. It almost like we create a pattern, and it's hard to break. I believe, listen, listen, I believe there are some patterns and some families that need to be broken because we do the same thing our parents did. We do the same thing that our grandparents did. We do the same thing and it becomes a generational, it becomes a generational thing. And sometimes we're so entrenched in it that we can't get out. And maybe what God's trying to say is break the cycle. Come to a place of confession and repentance, like pure repentance. 
Because see, what, here's what's happening. What God is doing is God is showing us through this passage and then on into the psalm and on into the life of David. Because remember, after Saul was taken out as king, now God is raising up David to become king. Why? Because he says, he is a man after my own heart. Did, devil, did, did David mess up? Absolutely. He failed many times, but he had a heart for the things of God, and Saul just was too arrogant to see those things. Because even after he repented, he still began to kind of backtrack. And so coming to a place of repentance, but we've become a culture that likes to hide, either justify or hide the things that aren't in obedience with God's word. And when we walk in disobedience and we're unrepentant, I believe that God strips his blessing. I believe God strips the blessing away. So I didn't want to end it on a bad note. You're like, oh man, I'm going to get punished. Nobody likes to be punished. But it is the reality. You're like, well, that's not a loving God. Have you ever punished your kids before? Right? You, you punish your kids. Like, when they get close to the street, you, you go and you grab them, and you begin to help them understand it. If they run out to the street after you've told them, you probably are going to punish them, right? If you aren't, you should. Because you, there's something on the other side of that that if we're not protecting our kids, and God's doing the same thing for us, if we're not protecting our kids, then they'll run out to the street and we know that it can eventually end up bad. And so God, it says that God punishes those he loves. And so, be, to be honest with you, we should actually be thankful for that when something kind of, and I'm not like, I know that this is dangerous territory because every bad thing that happens to you is not God punishing you, okay? So, don't misunderstand me. Sometimes it's just the nature of life. Sometimes it's your stupidity. You drive fast, you might get a speeding ticket, right? And so that's, that's the beginning to understand because God's nature is very loving, but he loves in a way that he disciplines his children because he wants us to walk in obedience to them. So to kind of end it on an up note is this, obedience comes from a heart that genuinely desires to love God. And so what we have to do is we have to reflect on who we are in our relationship with Jesus and say, does my heart truly desire to know God, to serve God, and to love Him? You see, we have to position our heart to know Him. We have to position our heart to hear from Him, right? It, it was really easy. It was actually very simple for Saul because what God did was he spoke to Samuel and Samuel showed up and told him. Now, it can be a little more complicated for us because not all the time does God send me to tell you what to do. Actually, to be honest with you, uh, He doesn't because He wants that direct relationship with you. 
And one of, one of the most difficult, I would say probably one of the most difficult things in a, in a relationship with Jesus is hearing what he's saying. But the problem is we don't position our heart. We don't position our heart to listen. We don't position our heart to know him. And let's be honest, we're a lot more distracted these days than we've ever been. Saul didn't take the time to fully understand what God had made clear because his arrogance and his self-deception got in the way. So Psalm 139 says, and this comes from the heart of David. It comes from a man who God said, he is a man after my own heart. And it says, search me, O God, know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And so the call for this morning is Psalm 139, search me, O God. Will you close your eyes with me for just a moment? be honest with you, this is probably the most difficult time right now. The scripture says in John 10, 10, that the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. And that came from the mouth of Jesus. And so your battle right now Your battle right now is, God, what are you saying to me? God, where's my heart truly at? Is my heart truly after the things of God? Am I just going through the motions? Am I just going through the motions? Do I just show up on Sunday and pat myself on the back? And do I even, listen, you can even get your Bible out on a, on a daily basis and read it. And you can just be going through the motions. You can take 10 minutes at the end of your day and pray and it just be going through the motions. I catch myself sometimes at dinner time because we pray on a regular basis at dinner time. I'm like, well, like, what am I really saying? Am I just going through the motions because that's what I was told to do? And my last question is this, are we following instructions? <laughs> God's given us everything we need to walk in relationship with him he's given us every he promises to give us everything we need if we'll just 
have a heart for the things of God. God, would you open our hearts this morning? Would you remove the lies and the self-deception and the pride and the arrogance? And would you bring us, God, to a place of surrender where we say we're going to truly trust. You're like, well, Pastor Chris, I don't know what I'm supposed to do next. Then, then wait. Learn to know him more. Learn to talk to him more. Learn to remove the distractions in your life so that you can hear him more. Because we know that God's word says that if we seek him, we'll find him. So maybe this is a moment of repentance. God, I'm sorry I've just gone through the motions. I'm sorry that I've been distracted. God, forgive me of my pride. Forgive me of my arrogance. God, forgive me for not obeying you completely. Spirit, that your Holy Spirit loves us enough to speak the truth to us if we're willing to listen. And so, God, would you give us a heart right now to hear what your Spirit says? We're going to sing a song in just a moment. And maybe you need to use this as a moment of confession, a moment of repentance for your arrogance or your pride, for your disobedience. And I hope, I hope that this is a safe enough space for people to know that you can come in an attitude of repentance and this group of people still love you. Hopefully this is a judgment-free zone. It should be our desire to want to help people grow and not look, at, not look down on them because they've made bad decisions. And so, God, would you free us from what the people think? And may this be a moment of confession, repentance. May this be a moment of praise. Maybe God's doing something in you, and you just want to thank him and praise him for it. And you want to come down front and just praise him for what he's doing. 
or maybe you're here and it's time to break the cycle. And the only way to break that cycle is through a moment of confession and healing. God, would you just have your way in this moment? We pray. Will you stand with me and let's sing. Use this as a moment to continue in the presence of God.